Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm going to need a little extra help this morning because I just, for some reason, feel like I lost an hour of sleep last night. So uh, if, there, if you're there with me and you give an amen or a response during this time, uh, much appreciated. I feel the love. Amen. Uh, shout out to Pastor Bill who uh, filled in with, in a pinch last week when Brian was just down with the flu for the second time. And uh, I finally got oh, to listen to the podcast a couple of days ago and uh, thought he did an incredible job for uh, getting a late notice. And I have no excuse this morning because I had a couple weeks to prepare. So thank you, Pastor Bill, for your sermon on Jesus, Friend of Sinners. I want to give a shout out to the youth leaders. Uh, They're away right now um, without teenagers, which is a nice thing to do once in a while. If you have teenagers in your own house, you know what I'm talking about. So they get to do a retreat without teenagers this weekend uh, down on the bay in Maryland. It's a beautiful spot. If you want to sign up to be a youth leader after this sermon, I'll, I'll help you. Uh, I'll, I'll connect with you. It's a great, great weekend, a great spot. Much deserved as they put up with my own kids and some of your kids. And uh, do love the ministry and do a great job. So I want to give a shout out to them and pray for safe travels on the way back from that weekend. And, and one more shout out, uh, Jake Shank is going to be here next Sunday. He's going to speak in the chapel at 1030 during second hour. Um, Jake has been a long-term missionary in Africa that's connected to the BIC and connected to our church. And so if you want to know what crocodiles and pythons and zebras have to do with Jesus, then you need to go hear Jake speak next Sunday and he'll probably fill you in. So the man has been in Africa for a long time, has lots of stories, and uh, I think you'll enjoy your time if you rearrange next Sunday's schedule to catch that in the chapel at 10.30. This morning, uh, we're on our third week of what I call evangelism, a sermon on evangelism, but um, Brian coined it Sharing Jesus. And uh, Brian started us off, then Bill uh, spoke last week, and, and myself, I'm Dustin, executive pastor here at Mannheim BIC. It's good to be with you. I get to speak this morning. And I want to start with a memory of discouragement or despair. And, and what it is, is as I look back at that idea of sharing Jesus with others, I think of when I was a teenager. And I started going to youth group with some friends across town. It was a more Pentecostal church, lots of great worship. But they often would tell us that we needed to share Jesus with other people. And they even had retreats or conferences to go and to learn how to share Jesus with others. Um, at, at one point, I actually signed up and ended up in, in Washington, D.C., um, doing street evangelism. All this to say, I was petrified of this idea that I needed to worry about other people's salvation because I had enough going on in my own life to worry about. I, I thought as a 16-year-old, I'm just trying to figure out how to get saved myself here. I don't know what to say to another person, and I know if I try, I'm going to mess it up. At the same time, I was insecure, like maybe a lot of teenagers would be, and I, I didn't want to go talk to a stranger about Jesus. I didn't want to be judged for that. I didn't want to look like a weirdo. And so for me, for the many years, I felt like evangelism was this burden that I couldn't shake and wasn't sure what I wanted to do about it. I was definitely not a street corner evangelist. Um, I can't sing very well for the whole group to be amazed at. And I was like, what in the world am I going to do with this idea of sharing Jesus? But, But I have to go back and remember this verse that Jesus said. It's a verse that that has comforted me in many times. 
And that would be Matthew 11.30. For my yoke is easy, and help me out, and my... And I thought, how do I in some way want to share Jesus with others, but yet at the same time not carry this heavy, heavy burden that I have to fix everyone? March 1st was Ash Wednesday. So if you didn't know, we are in Lent. And this is the most significant holiday time in the Christian calendar. Um, We celebrate Monday, Thursday, and Easter Sunday here uh, for you all to come, bring some people with. And uh, so we are in a significant um, holiday time in our Christian calendar. So I've been catching up on on a few people looking at Lent and reading a couple things online. And I came across this one phrase this week uh, from a favorite blogger that I was challenged with. I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to look at that. And so uh, he said this, for some of us, it might take, this might be the time to skip over giving up chocolate or ice cream for Lent, which is all good things. You can give up that for Lent. I don't have a problem with you doing that. And choose a fast you know will end in certain failure. Then we'll remember the hard but good news with which this season ends. Jesus does what we cannot do for ourselves. Amen? I was reminded, even with evangelism, you know, I might get an A plus in sharing Jesus with someone. It might work out. I may say the right thing they need to hear. But I also might get what I got on my first essay in college, a big fat F. It might be terrible. I might do a really bad job. But I believe, if you look at these words, I believe we have freedom to say, God, this is about you and not me. God, you're going to have to fix this person. I can't. I certainly can't save them. I can point them to Jesus. But I might not be the one to save them. I might not be the one to fix them. I I can carry their burden to a certain degree. But it's going to have to be you. Remember the hard but good news with which this season ends, that Jesus does what we cannot do for ourselves. And so this morning I I hold that story of sort of discouragement. You know, every time I went to a conference and they talked about sharing Jesus with others, I'd like kind of just get low in my seat. Like, please don't look at me. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But on the other hand, can we remember the good news that that God's so much bigger than us? And God might do something in our lives that we don't see coming and use us in a unique way that we didn't know was going to happen. Would you pray with me as we get started this morning? Lord, we we hold out our insecurities in front of you, our, our, our lack of words, our lack of Bible expertise. And at the same time, we say, Lord, use me. Here's your servant. I'm willing. And and Lord, help us to have the freedom in being ourselves in this. Help us to do this together. To not just carry any burden on our own, but but carry it together. To the point where it's not a burden anymore. But it can have joy in it. There can be freedom in it. Lord, place someone on our hearts today that just needs to be reminded of your good news, of your love, of your forgiveness. And in some way, help us to put skin on that. Help us to make it practical. It just might be a cup of coffee and a listening ear. But help us hold that before you this week as a reminded of your call into our lives to share Jesus with others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
So again, how does one come to peace with, I'm not the loud evangelist on the corner with the megaphone, but God does call me into something great. So I'm going to start with a question because pastors are great at answering questions with a question. All right. Is evangelism an individual effort or a community effort? As, as a young kiddo, maybe 12, 13, uh, one of my friends invited me to his church, or maybe I stayed over, I can't remember. Uh, but I went to a church, totally different church than my small Mennonite church growing up. And we walked in, and I'm like, oh, this is different, okay? It, it was beautiful, lots of good architecture, there was an organ playing. And it was, I would say it was a high church. Um, it had liturgy, and you had to just pay attention, because at any moment, everybody would stand up. And you don't want to be left behind, so you're like standing up, and at some point, then you're sitting back down, and then they, they, they know the words to something, and you're just there pretending to mouth the words of whatever they're saying. All good, good experience. But at the end of the service, I was blown away because there was just pure silence. Everybody got up, left, walked to their cars, and didn't say a word to one another. And, and, and you take that experience from like small Mennonite church where like you were, weren't sure your parents were ever going to leave the church. Okay. So I was like, wait, we just missed half a church. Like, where's the two hand touch outside? Where's the apple tree to climb in? And certainly where's the devil eggs and the finger jello and the casseroles? Like, where are they at? I mean, I was, I was just like, what in the world is going on? Is this church? Because I did grow up around the idea that church was definitely not just about the service. It was definitely, definitely goes well beyond that into the community. So I had that growing up. I do think we're extremely programmed here in the West to think about our faith pretty much primarily in our and my terms. We say things like my testimony, my understanding, my opinion, my experience. So what that does is it leads to these statements. And you may have uttered these, you may have heard these, but, but we definitely um, come up with like my statements about church and faith. Yeah, uh, Sunday wasn't that great. The sermon was pretty lousy. I don't know why I go. Missing out on the fact that you could encourage someone, you could greet someone, you could serve someone. Missing out on the fact that you can just open your Bible and say, God, speak to me. We say things like, how's your walk with God? And immediately, we're just kind of programmed to think, am I doing my quiet time? And there's nothing wrong with that. But could it go well beyond that into serving and loving others? Or the classic, yeah, I'm, I'm part of this deep Bible study. Which usually means, like, it's a thick book and there's, like, just three friends. And again, not, there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea of going deep in Christ can go well beyond that idea of your own personal little study. I, I wanted to compare a current, um, any, I just chose a current modern Christian song and compared it to a scripture reading that we already did this morning just to see what I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm talking about. Again, um, I love the song Oceans. I'm not going to sing it for you this morning, but I will read the first, these lines out of it. I already highlighted the fact that there are very personal I, me pronouns in here that, that you'll see. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. 
for I am yours and you are mine. And we get this image that basically my Christian faith is me, the ocean, and God. And there's no one else around, which isn't the reality of it. Just compare that for a moment with just out of Hebrews 10. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now in the day of his return, is drawing near. Completely different perspective. If you just imagine that verse, you're thinking, wow, there's like people everywhere. I'm bumping into people. I'm doing life with people. I'm reading the Bible with people. I'm worshiping with people. I'm being sent out with people. Gives you a total different read on the Christian faith. The book, Get Real, we've been reading as we've been preparing for these sermons. And I just want to highlight um, from the chapter that Brian had handed me. Kind of goes with what I'm saying here. John Leonard says, However, when I study the scriptures, they seem to place the weight of the expression of the Christian faith on the communal and physical. The gospel impacts and changes more than individual lives. It builds community. It builds people. It builds a society. The only way, and I think he goes out on a limb here. Theologically, I think you could really discuss this last piece. The only way I can experience the fullness of God's salvation in my life is if I'm part of a community of believers who are gracing one another in their daily lives. For me, the burden of evangelism has always felt super heavy. I always wondered, like, was I going to convert anyone? And for me, I think I was confusing evangelism with conversion. And so I just want to point that out, and then I have a video that's going to also point the same thing out. I was thinking that, that conversion is what evangelism was, but, but it's a piece of it. So evangelism is sharing the good news with others. It could be as simple as, like, let me, let me just hear what's going on. Let me point you to Jesus. How are you doing? Here's a cup of coffee. Conversion is that last piece where someone's still just hard-hearted toward God, but God melts their heart in some way, and maybe you're there for that. So it's that last piece before they surrender their life to Jesus. For me, the burden of evangelism got so much lighter when I realized that I don't have to do it by myself, but I can do it in a community whether it's the youth ministries that I've been a part of, whether it's this Sunday morning group, whether it's men's ministry or a small group ministry, an early morning guys group, I don't have to do it alone. Great example, have you ever invited someone to an event at church? It could be part of a small group. It could be a service like this. And in the back of your head, you're like wondering how it's going to go for them, right? I mean, you went on a limb, you, you invited them to something that maybe was outside their experience in life, and you're thinking, are they going to like it? Are they going to like be challenged, learn anything? Will they see God in this? But also, you're really wondering if they'll be accepted. Will anyone else greet them besides me? And if that happens, I don't know if it's happened for you, but when it's happened, in my experience, you just feel this weight go off of you. You're like, okay, I'm not the only person like talking with them, interacting with them. It's one thing for me to tell them they're welcome. It's another thing for them to experience that they're welcome. We get to do that in community. And it, it, it is great when someone else comes and greets and is friendly and gets to know a visitor that I've brought.
We do that together. So again, is evangelism an individual effort or a community effort? I know where my vote is. Because the burden gets a whole lot lighter when I look at it through the eyes of the community. I sat, this, I sat down this week and I visited with a, a Bible professor that I've had because uh, he had some really great stories around this. And I just asked him that same question. Talk to me about, is evangelism this individual thing that we need to look at? Or can we look at it in terms of community? So um, if it's okay with y'all, I'd like to share that quick interview with you. Hi, I'm Jim Merman. Um, grew up in York, Pennsylvania, currently living in Lebanon. For many years, I raced around the world working in missions, and uh, recently I've become the academic dean at Evangelical Seminary. It's a pleasure to chat with you all today and to see Dustin again. Dustin was a student in one of my classes. That When we think of evangelism, uh, we get a little nervous, or we, we admit that it's hard to do as an individual. So that ought to be a hint right away. It's not just, of course, it could be somewhat of our nervousness involved, but a big part of that could be even God reminding us that evangelism done in a community is a much more natural and much more profound process, even for the people naturally, not just you doing it, but for the people receiving it. Uh, It reminds me, I think of my mom, for instance. My mom is this amazing woman, this amazing saint, and she lives in York, Pennsylvania, and I'll visit her and she'll say something like, Jimmy, um, I wish I was more like Max Mann. And Max is this guy in our church growing up that he was just great at what I call the clothes when it comes to evangelism. You know, he could work with someone, and if Max talked with them, it's almost like they came to know Christ. Now, what my mom was saying in that was the fact that, wow, I really respect someone who can bring someone to the point of conversion, because I think we have to understand that evangelism is a little bit different than conversion. You know, conversion is that thing that you do when, I think Charles Finney once called it, your point of pride. It's that last thing that you're holding on to when you clearly feel Christ is trying to talk to you and get to you, and you just can't let go of something. That's conversion. That's repentance, right? But evangelism is a bit deeper than that. Like, there's a lot of things that go into why we think and the way we feel, right? So I sometimes think it's important to understand that evangelism, which means to declare good news, it's best to view it like a scale, like minus 10 to zero. And if minus one to zero is conversion, We have to understand that there's these nine other points that we can be at along that way. So you can go back all the way to negative 10, and let's just make up a scale here, like negative 10 in the town where I did a lot of ministry, Yale University town, where negative 10 is actually extreme atheism. Matter of fact, passionate atheism, right? Negative nine might be something like, well, there might be gods out there, but they have nothing to do with us. Or maybe negative eight would be agnosticism, where you believe there's a god, but the god single God doesn't have much to do with you. Now, if you moves up the scale, you could be at negative five and just be mad at the church. You might actually believe that Christianity is right, but you, you don't like Christians or something like that. Now, what I like to say is that if we're thinking of evangelism as community, we're recognizing then that different ones of us might be better at different points on that scale, right? And we can start to experience some freedom where you might want me on your team if you want someone to handle a minus 10 because I, I, I absolutely enjoy, actually I might even be said I'm, I'm passionate about sitting with someone who might be trying to attack my faith, might be trying to dismantle my faith. And I sit with them and I can walk away and have a conversation with them that not only the Holy Spirit can move in, but I walk away energized. And my mom, for instance, here she is wanting to be like Max Mann, who's quite good at bringing someone to the point of conversion. But if you've ever seen my mom, if you, she can invite someone over for dinner who's fallen away from the church, might be angry at the church, might even have a pretty legitimate reason, right? 
And by the end of that dinner, that person's oftentimes just in tears or sitting at her table saying, oh, I'm going to be back in church because my mom just has this restorative ability that helps someone re-engage with Christ and in a sense is declaring good news over a life, huh? To move someone from a minus, minus six to a minus five is in some ways evangelism. And that's what I think we need to think of as communities is, where do I fit? What, what, what when I do is more natural? And I'm trusting, trust me, when you give that to the Holy Spirit, evangelism happens along that continuum and different ones of us are involved. It takes a lot of pressure off of us and actually, quite honestly, makes us feel more natural in representing Christ in the world. All right, so you've been to Bible college for the last four minutes, um, Theology 101. But I actually drew out uh, James's scale, just thought it might be helpful for you to see. Now, this is just an example, but again, he's just pointing out the fact that the guy, the, the guy on the street corner uh, proclaiming Jesus or visiting with you saying, hey, you know, if you got struck by a train right now, what would happen to your soul? Okay, is extremely good at negative one to zero. And can maybe just sit with someone at that point of conversion and has said the sinner's prayer with a few different people in their life. But let's not forget or miss out on the fact that maybe God's been working in their life in so many different ways down the scale. And maybe he's used us and our gifts and our skills along the way. So again, uh, maybe his mom is incredible at helping people get from negative six to negative five if this is their spiritual journey. And maybe they get over the hurt by the church and they're through that. And then maybe materialism is just holding them up. And maybe God uses you to just simply say, you know, I, I know you're anxious about all this stuff, but if you think about it, it doesn't really matter, does it? Like God and our relationships and what happens after this time on the earth, like that's what really matters. Or maybe too busy for church. Maybe, maybe someone knows that you give to charity and give to the church. And that, that influences how they see faith. Or maybe they see you come on a, on a Sunday morning when it's 20 degrees and you just lost an hour of sleep. Maybe they see you come to church. Okay? Because you're trying to proclaim in your life that you are not too busy for God. My dad, um, I wouldn't say was ever a, a good preacher. I, I don't think he, that skill is there. But I've seen him take time for God throughout his entire life. And so he's been able to speak in my life, not too busy for God. So this scale, how would God use your skills, your life experience, to move someone maybe one step closer to conversion on a scale like this? Because I believe, I believe that you do bring something to the table when it comes to sharing Jesus with others. It comes to, to proclaiming that Jesus is alive that comes to um, pointing someone to Jesus in, in the moment, whatever moment they're in. God can use your skill of listening, your skill of hospitality, your skill of prayer, or maybe you don't feel very skillful in prayer, but maybe your habit of prayer, your willingness to pray, your, your skill of knowing scriptures. And I believe God can use your junk, the, the junk that, that maybe you still carry or the junk that you've been through. That God can use that too. I'm going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, I will have it on the screen. I am going to read out of the message. Um, I kept going back and forth, but just felt like it was clearest with the message. And I want you to listen for what Paul sees in the church body. 
there, there's different times in Scripture where um, the, the body of believers is called out and described. And, and again, we're going to look, Paul describes the body here. And, and I want you to think that um, it's probably a description more than it is prescription. In other words, I don't think this is a closed list. It probably goes on and on after this list. But this gives the, the top things that Paul is seeing in the body. I hope you find yourself in, in these verses. I hope you find our community. I really do in these verses. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. That's just really good right there. I'm going to read it again. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit. And to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Wise counsel. Clear understanding. Simple trust. What his mom might communicate at a dinner table might just be a simple trust. Hey, you can trust me. You can trust our faith community. I'll walk with you through that. Healing the sick. Miraculous acts, proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by the Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. And suddenly the burden that I felt that evangelism was at at an early age probably shouldn't feel so heavy if it says God decides who gets what and when. I hope you can find yourself somewhere on this list. And, and maybe you can think in your head of what, what maybe you would add to this list. Uh, personally, I think really good coffee and a hot cinnamon roll should be on this list. Because I can, talk, I can sit down and, and you can challenge me on my faith at that point. I'll enjoy my cinnamon roll and, and I'll listen. Maybe you can bring that to the table. The one thing that I see on this list is that's not me entirely. I, do not, I, do, I can't put my name at the end of each one of those. And that's a good thing. Because if I did, if I thought that I was all those things, then I would totally miss out on the point of the church. And I've met some people that honestly think they're all those things. And they miss out on the point of the church, on the point of working together. For Lent or for this season or, or just in the spirit of sharing Christ with others, I want to give up silence. I want to give up being quiet if I can. And I want to look for opportunities to share Jesus in a Dustin kind of way. Obviously, I left the blank there. Take out my name. Insert yours. For Lent. For this season, I want to give up silence. As I look to the cross, as I look to the resurrection, the empty tomb, I give up silence. I look for opportunities to share Jesus in my own kind of way. Right now, just right now, who might God be bringing to your mind that just needs a word of encouragement, needs pointed to Jesus, maybe needs to be reminded about why they're here, what they're doing, Maybe they need a warm cinnamon bun. Maybe they need a listening ear. I pray that, I pray that God speaks to you through that question. Who might God be calling me to point to Jesus?
Now, I want to put a little, little skin, a little how on this idea of community evangelism. I may have convinced you that it's an important part of the church. In fact, it's the best way to do evangelism. Uh, it's a great way to not feel all the pressure of being everything to all people. So I'm going to give you three things. Uh, the first thing is actually I made an attachment. It's not with you right now, but it's on a bright green piece of paper. And if you want this for maybe you're part of a small group or maybe it's your youth group small group um, or a men's ministry, women's ministry or morning Bible study, um, whatever it is, um, a basketball, church basketball group, church softball. If, you, if you're thinking, hey, how is a group can we impact others? I encourage you to take one of these pieces of paper. They're, they're out back in the lobby on the information booth. And it just says Dustin's attachment number one. I'll have it online too with a sermon. Uh, what it does is it takes something that uh, Hugh Halter, he had, he had come and spoken to a bunch of pastors. And we all really enjoyed spending time with him. Um, he did a really good job of challenging us to go beyond what we usually think of when we think of doing small group or uh, having house church. And what he did is he divided, um, the thing he's been doing with his groups is he's been dividing them into doing four action steps together. The first two is, is more traditional, doing scripture together, um, doing worship together, praying together. And then he challenges us to do a, a third and a fourth step that's a little bit different. He said, before you meet again for traditional study, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Ask in the group, hey, who knows of a need? And if you have a group of six, eight, ten people, there's probably someone in that group that knows of a need. And when they voice it, say, what can we do about it? How can we address it? How could we just compassionately um, take care of the need or at least just um, touch, touch that person's life? So number one, how can we be a blessing and do it? Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Identify a need. They might not even be asking for any help. 1 John, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Be a blessing. And the fourth thing that he would have them do is throw a party. The, the, the title this morning is Welcome to the Party. And in church should be a time where we come to scriptures and sing and all that together. But it can also just be a party. It can be a hangout. We can hang out together if we want. Or in my backyard, I can invite other neighbors and just hang out. I, I may have food. I may do a prayer. Or if it doesn't seem natural, I don't have to do a prayer. But how do I just connect with people and create a place that people can belong to? So uh, you, um, he, he says this, we call this inclusive community where you're creating a place of belonging for people. And that's really important in today's age. It, lots of people move around, don't have family near them. And if you provide a place of belonging, that can be part of the good news of Jesus. Maybe without even saying it out loud. And so he would encourage the groups, just throw a party. Jesus said, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. I love that line. But there is still room. There's still space for others. 
Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What does God want? He wants to invite people in to be a part of the different things that we're doing. So um, the, the first and second thing that, that I p- try to put skin on this community evangelism is be a blessing in your groups, in your smaller groups. Be a blessing. And then throw a party. Just invite, give, give people a, an open invitation. They don't have to pretend to be somebody, something. They don't have to fit in. They can just show up and be themselves. The third thing that, that I really wanted to, to hit home on, this is a, definitely a passion of mine, is uh, when we think of welcome to the party, do we make room for the odd bird? So do we make room for the odd bird? And the odd bird, they might even be called Becky. Right, so this is one of my favorite new odd birds out there. Um, I, I love loons. Loon is probably my favorite bird ever, and Becky ruined it for me. I don't think I can look at a loon anymore and not think of Becky. Um, but, but Becky is an odd bird. And in 20 years of ministry, let me tell you, I have had some odd birds. They show up. You open a door... You plan a retreat, you plan a small group, and you get, you get odd birds at times. And sometimes they're annoying, honestly. Sometimes they might grate against my skin. But every time I look back, sometimes it helps to look back. Every time I look back, I thank God for them. Because I know they needed us, but also, if I'm honest, like, I needed them. They taught me a lot about God's love. I wrote down some examples I wanted to share with you real quick. Um, the, the kid who kept, keeps his same socks on all weekend long. Okay, that's an odd bird that smells all week. The, the kid on the mission trip who really does throw a rock into the hornet's nest. The, um, now, I'm not, not picking on Brad Hur or anything right now, but the kid on the mission trip who turns the bottle rocket upside down, lights it, and it burns my leg. Was that you? No. Okay. But, but, but his twin brother's not here to defend himself because his twin brother stepped into a paint bucket and knocked it over across our new carpet in the youth room. That lasted longer than my burn on my leg. Um, the kid who is playing drums may have jumped off of his bunk bed, put his head through a ceiling fan that was on, and the blade came and almost hit me. Thank you. That, that may be him. That may be him. Um, the, 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 kid, the kid who's super anxious about going out on the street to do homeless ministry. The kid who's always hungry. Dustin, when are we going to eat? Dustin, when are we going to eat? And the opposite of that, the boy or the girl struggling with eating disorder, who I'm just trying to compassionately check in with them. How you doing? Are you getting enough to eat? The introvert who says nothing for six days, and then the kid who talks way too much. And I'm trying to figure out how to get him into a different group. The kid, um, the kid who's just started depression meds and wants to know if he or she's okay. Am I normal, Dustin? The kid who handed me his razor blades because he was so angry at himself. And one of my funny memories is... The girl who went vegan right before we had a uh, retreat, and I asked her to flip the bacon on the griddle. And you would have thought that I asked her to rob a bank. <laughs> odd birds. All of these are odd birds. 
And God puts odd birds in our communities, I think, to maybe, just maybe really test out our love for people. So if you've ever felt like an outsider, if, if you don't fit in, then I'm glad you're here. I hope you need us. I know we need you. Jesus calls Zacchaeus an odd bird. Hey, little man, I want you to be part of the kingdom of God. He calls Levi the tax collector. I got this small group going on, Levi. I want you to be part of it, even though no one in this community likes you. He called out to the Samaritan woman, the woman caught in adultery. He called out to the leper, the blind, the poor, the lame, the unclean. And he called out to the unworthy. He shook their hands. He prayed with them. Jesus would say, come in and join me at this banquet table. Come on in. It's a party. You're invited. You are invited, no matter how odd you might be. So do we, in our communities, do we make space enough for the odd bird, for their questions, for their struggles? Let me say this. From a pastor's perspective, if you do that well, I don't have to be amazing. If this community um, comes with its gifts and welcomes visitors and odd birds well, I suddenly don't have to be better than the pastor down the street. And I get to be me, and you get to be you, and people can be real. I, want, I started this sermon by saying I wanted to take my faith seriously, but I was just intimidated by the sharing Jesus stuff. I, I still want to take my faith seriously. I, I still know that I'm called to share Jesus. It's just that I'm really glad that I get to do it with you and not alone. I don't excel at street corner evangelism, and that's okay. We're going to end with a prayer together, because we're in this together, amen? We're in this together, amen? So we're going to end with a prayer. It's from, uh, from a book that Anne Lamont wrote, Help, Thanks, and Wow, Three Essential Prayers. So it's going to be really simple. This is going to be kind of a reflection for you in your own life where God has you. So why don't you stand, and I'll lead us through this prayer. The first line, help me. Help me is the the first line and the hardest line because you have to admit defeat. You have to admit that something is not right and you have to admit that you can't fix it on your own. Help me is this moment of surrender, which is honestly the hardest thing we ever have to do. If you make it through the first line... Then we go to the next line, thank you. And it's this realization that God is so much more powerful and that God is good and God hears you. And there's a connection made between your situation and with heaven where it's made right. And wow, if you make it to the third line, wow is when we are speechless, when we don't quite understand, when we just know that God showed up. It might be in the sunrise, sunset, the stars at night or the newborn sleeping child or the small piece in the center of your life right now, and you don't even know why it's there. It's a peace that goes beyond understanding. So we're going to do this kind of slowly, but we'll do it together. Help me, help me, help me, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Wow, wow. Wow, fill us with your wonder, Lord. Help me.